Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using the promo code WBZMASS and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Massachusetts only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire seven days from issuance. Play it smart from the start with GameSense. GameSenseMA.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-327-5050 or visit GamblingHelplineMA.org in partnership with MGM Springfield. B-Pod Studios. Are you ready for this? Do, 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 do. It's Felger and Matt. Oh, stupid, my oh, God. Oh. Presented by DraftKings Sportsbook on 98.5 The Sports Hub. To the team that is expected to be the bottom of the basement in the AFC East, the New England Patriots have not said that basically for 20 years. Uh, they had eight wins last year. They're over under this year, six and a half. The over is getting bet. 94% of the money is on the over at minus 140. That's crazy. I want to take the over. Believe in Bill Belichick that he is not going to have a six-win team, I, I guess. I, yeah. Because if he does, he might be done well what i like again early season schedule i mean the first half is tough Oof. it is tough eagles dolphins jets cowboys so three of our top five four of my top five rosters they're playing to start the year they have the hardest schedule one through 18 week one through 18 of any team they are favored in only three games it, it's that's crazy i want to take the over though i do I mean, I'm taking the over. I am. Over six and a half? That's a no-brainer. I don't know. It feels like a no-brainer to me. Or uh, or does it? How do you feel about your New England Patriots at this hour? As we hit cut-down day here on Tuesday, August 29th. Felger coming to you from the remote A-hole chair location. we got big boy Greg Bedard from the Boston Sports Journal in our Town Fair Tire Studios. With also Big Jim Murray and Matt McCarthy. So we got a fully loaded program today. How you fellas doing? Good. Good. Delightful. Okay. Big boy, how do you feel about your football team at this hour? Uh, a little uneasy. I mean, I, look, I, I just don't like starting the regular season with, you know, two guards that haven't practiced at all. I guess Cole Strange was back today, apparently. Uh, he is practicing. Calvin Anderson was back today so that's good uh it's good for the balance of the season but going into the season opener that four first four games especially the eagles in week one with you know your two starting guards haven't done anything this summer yeah uh, you, ha- you don't know what you have at right tackle at all uh you know i'm pretty pretty uneasy about that it, it, it is a story to you the offensive line and how Bill built the offensive line or didn't build the offensive line. Tom Curran said it showed a lack of urgency on the part of Bill Belichick. Uh, do you agree that that's the story on the team right now, the lead story on the team, and do you agree with the lack of urgency narrative? I would agree with that. I think the lead story on the team overall, where they are right now, is Bill's philosophy as far as the offense versus the defense and special teams, that he is just going with what he's always done, which is we're not going to throw a lot of resources at at the offense. Um, you know, we're going to go the the cheaper route at wide receiver, at tight end, at running back, at the offensive line. 
And in the past, he had Tom Brady, Dante Scarnecchia, Ivan Fears, Josh McDaniels to figure it out. He's going with the same formula, even even though the coaches have changed, the quarterback has changed, and the NFL has changed. You know, can you can you win just by basically middling at offense and, and trying to put try to get ahead of everybody else on defense and special teams? But doesn't the fact that they just went out and got two other offensive linemen on Sunday doesn't that tell everyone that Bill knows he's got an issue there and they handled this situation poorly? Oh, without question, I, I think. You know, he they they go they went in with the best intentions, uh, you know. But I mean, Riley Reef, Connor McDermott, and Calvin Anderson. I mean, you wouldn't even say any of those guys are mid tier free agents or additions. And so, the, you know, they probably looked at it and they said, "All right, well, we have Trent Brown back. You know, hopefully, we get him on the reservation." You know, Cole Strange will be better. David Andrews is rock solid. Michael Wenu was really good, even though he was coming off surgery. So that, you know, he didn't have much of a summer. Shouldn't have been a surprise to them. And then right tackle, we'll be able to figure it out because that's what we've sort of always done. So I understand the thinking. I just would have put a little bit more resources towards it. I mean, I think they're looking at the grand scheme of things that, you know, next year tackle is a better it's a better draft for tackles next year. That there might be some players in free agency available that they could pick up. But you know, look, you got to you got to figure out how you're going to compete in the present. Okay, Greg Bedard joining us today. So you want to talk some football? Give him a call six one seven 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 nine zero ninety eight five. The thing that you said there about Bill thought at tackle offensive line will figure it out. I I think describes his whole approach. Just big picture overall, Greg. We'll figure it out. And, oh, subsequently, uh, the other teams will screw it up because everyone else is stupid, and we'll figure them out, and by the end of it, we'll be, you know, we'll be the ones left standing. And I, I just think that that philosophy worked for so long when obviously you know who was here, and it just sort of Bill hasn't gotten out of that mindset of, well, you know what, everybody else is stupid. There's no other coach or quarterback in this division that can hurt me. So we can start slow, soft opening. We don't have to have all the answers now. Uh, we'll throw it out there, and we'll figure it out as we go. And by the time we get there, we'll be there, and everybody else will be you know, in the dust. And that's it. that is the way it went for like 20 years. But he doesn't – I still feel he, he's managing the thing the same way. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. And, and you, you know, I was just looking at um, sort of the, you know, free agency lists. You know, so say – you know, you looked at it and you said, okay, well, how about if you beef up at tackle and you go for offense? I mean, you know, so the first three guys in free agency, Orlando Brown Jr. goes to the Cincinnati Bengals, AFC team. Mike McGlinchey goes to Denver, and Jawan Taylor goes to KC. I mean, the, those are, especially KC and, and Cincinnati, you know, you're talking about teams that are now going with the newer version, which is, put the money into the offense, figure defense out. I mean, I think, you know, when you look at the Kansas City Chiefs last year, I don't think anybody looked at the Super Bowl champions and said they were a great defensive team. And, in fact, they stunk on special teams too. You know, so what's what's the formula? You know, what you know the Jets, they had defense, they go for offense. I mean, you know, what's the formula? Bill has is still using the same exact formula that he used in Cleveland. Agreed. And does that win in today's NFL? That's no. the big question. 
No, I don't think it does. Uh, I mean, maybe an outlier slips through there every once in a while, but it's not what is going to win consistently. And I just feel, again, like Bill's behind. We've been over this over and over again, but I just feel the roster building and uh, it, you know, sort of exemplifies that. And there's no better example of what's going on in the offensive line. And so that's sort of front and center again as cutdown day comes today at 4 o'clock. So their moves already been made. There's more that need to be coming. So you want to uh, be here first because we'll give it to you first. What happens in reaction to it with Greg Bedard right up until that cutdown at 4 o'clock. I guess the big move so far today, if you want to call that, is trading Nick Folk for a 2025 seventh-round pick. So... Okay, Bill got a draft pick back out of it, but what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I, I'm i surprised that they weren't able to get more because there were about four or five teams. We saw the Browns make a trade yesterday. Same type of trade, too. It was a seventh-rounder in 2025. Yeah, I, it, it's surprising that you know maybe like a sixth or something, but you know a, a seventh-rounder a year from now, that's, you know, it's basically a used bag of footballs. But I'm a little bit surprised. Um you know, but I think this is the decision that the Patriots had to make. If they would have kept two kickers, you know, I would have been all over their case, considering they traded up with the Jets for Ryland and <laughs> passed on, say, you know, the Jets took an offensive tackle, wouldn't you know, with the uh, with the the pick that the Patriots uh, traded to them. And, you know, a kicker went in the sixth round to the Packers, who looks like he's going to kick uh, Anders Carlson, who looks like he's going to start for the Packers this year, but the Patriots draft trade up for one in the fourth round. So, look, it's on it, it's on Ryland. I like what I've seen out of him. Uh, they had to do this. They keeping two kickers would have been dumb. Yeah, but Nick Folk's been nails for them, and not to talk about the kickers too too much. But don't they need a guy that you can truly rely on forty five yards and in? That's what Nick Folk is. You're going to be probably winning games, low scoring games. You're going to trust your defense. Did he just hang on to Ryland because he drafted him this year over Folk? I based on what I saw in practices and in the games, I think they they were at least even. And Ryland has a much bigger leg, um, and I, you know, just like they went with Goskowski, you know, as a rookie, you just have to take a look at it. As long as he's not a complete disaster like Justin Warwasser was, then I think you got to go. You got to go with him. Okay. All right, Greg. So here we go. An hour and whatever, forty nine minutes until. The cut down. Where do we stand? What do you think the big decisions are left? I mean, I'm sure they've made them, but we don't know. So what? So so what are the tension points? Who are you most curious about staying, going? You know that whole thing. I, I guess first and foremost, you know, since it's a popular topic, I think Malik Cunningham is certainly an interesting guy. Um, I would be surprised if he's on the 53. I just don't think he's shown enough. Uh, to do that. I think he's a perfect practice squad guy. You have to decide. I mean, based on what we've seen on the field, he you would say he's more of a quarterback slash slash sort of role than he is a wide receiver. Um, so, you know, that's one of the guys. I think, you know, the Jack Jones usage the other night was interesting, and it makes you wonder, you know, are they looking to trade him? Is that possible? I don't think it's that's going to happen. I don't think they have the depth to do it at that position. Um, and uh, what else? I mean, I guess well, the receivers. wide receiver room. Yeah. I mean, I think they're keeping the six. The Malik Cunningham would be a a seventh if they did that. But I think it's unless Tyquan Thornton has to go, you know, through fifty three onto the IR or something like that. I think you keep the top six. I think they've all 
earn spots, and you're not getting rid of Tyquan Thornton after one year being a second a second round pick that you traded up for. How do you feel about that receiver room? I think it's thin. I think it's you know Devonte Parker is a guy you historically in his career you can't count on. Uh, Juju Smith Schuster, I I know they think he's going to be really good for them. There's nothing that I've seen on the practice field that leads me to say that's that he's going to replicate what Jacoby Myers did a year ago. But you know they could. I think from from the talks that I've had with people, it sounds like they're very much slow playing him this summer. And they, he, I think he might have to be managed. Like we won't get the full juju if we do until two, four, six games into this season. And I just worry about. Like I'm fine with Kendrick Bourne playing more in, in, ahead of Juju early. I'm fine with that. But like if one of those top three guys, the veteran guys, goes down, and two of them, you say history tells you that's going to happen. You know, now all of a sudden you're pressing Tyquan Thornton and two rookies in into roles. Traditionally, those guys aren't ready for that in this offense. Okay, you want to talk some football with Bedard? Like I said. Up to you and open to you at 617-779-0985. To you right after these words. More failure and Maz on the way next on the Sports Hub. Now, more of Felger and Maz. Now, on, on, on the Sports Hub. Well, you have to understand too, right? I mean, and it's not like I'm predicting, hey, in week eight, someone's going to get injured. But all of these teams, I mean, the Bills especially, the Jets, they're all – and it's – I think the Patriots, less so, right, are one significant injury away from having their entire season derailed, right? If Tyreek Hill gets a soft tissue injury, if Tua gets hurt again, if Josh Allen, who they've been trying to stop running, but continues to leave the pocket at a kind of a higher rate than I think they'd want him to, what if he gets banged up again? And we saw what happened when he uh, when he hurt the shoulder last year towards the stretch run. So I do think all those things kind of work into the favor where New England just has a higher so you're confident in Billy Zappi. You you think if if Mac Jones goes down, the Zap Man takes over and things, and in, in it's it, they still they still do well. When I was there at training camp, I thought you know the offense worked really well with both of those guys. I mean, well, he in, 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 in the preseason. <laughs> Zappi was terrible. I would say too, in, but I wasn't at camp. That is true. Yeah, yeah, and, and and watching them against that defense too, right? I mean. I think that defense is going to give them a lot more trouble than a lot of the other teams that they're going to face this year. And I do think that has to be taken into, I, into account. So, Connor, I, I, real quick, real quick. So, Connor, yeah, yeah. I do like this this school of thought. So, according to you, let me just kind of see if I can paraphrase what, what you just said. That is, the Patriots are less, their success hinges less on one player than all of the other teams do. Like, if Josh Allen or Aaron Rodgers or Tua goes down you think that that's almost like an Achilles heel, which leaves the Patriots at an advantage. Yeah. All right, so that was uh, Connor Orr. He writes for Sports Illustrated. And he had uh, a story this week where the he has the Patriots winning the AFC East and actually running the table against the AFC East, so going 6-0 and against the Dolphins, Jets, and Bills and winning the division. So he writes for Sports Illustrated, not Pat's Pulpit? Okay, I think it's Sports Illustrated. That was on with you. He was on this morning with TNR. You can hear the full interview at 98.5thesportsup.com or the app. And so they got him on, and that was his rationale, that these other teams 
have too much high-end talent that they're dependent on where if they get hurt, there's you see a bigger fall-off to yeah. the next level than what you have with the Patriots. So in this way, their lack of high-end talent is in their favor. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, hoping for injuries up and down the rest of the division and crossing your fingers, I think, is a ridiculous assessment on why the Patriots will end up winning the AFC East. That's – I can't use the word I want to use. It's polite society we live in now, but I mean <laughs> – I, I mean, give me a break, buddy. Like, come on. <laughs> Don't we I, generally say on this show that there's no such thing as a bad take? There's no, no. no we there's just found no such one. thing as a stupid take. Okay. yeah. There no, is uh, no such thing as a stupid take. Uh-huh. No, uh, that just put that theory to the test because we just found one. That is insane. <laughs> uh, look, I had that job. I had to do that, predict <laughs> every game on the schedule, and it got me nothing but grief. One year I had the Cardinals losing, like, 10 games in a row and they ended up going to the NFC championship game. I think that year. And I was all over Arizona radio. The next year I picked them to go to the super bowl and they completely flamed out. Like that is just a thankless job. Now, look, I, I do think there is, there is a world in which, in which the AFC East regresses. Um, you know, I think the bills are going to backslide a little bit. I mean, they won 13 games a year ago. I don't think they're going to do that. I think their over-under is like 10 and a half. I'm with you on that. This year. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, and plus you have Leslie Frazier's not the defensive coordinator anymore. Sean McDermott's going to call the plays. There's already been just, you know, Stefan Diggs has already been disgruntled in certain ways. And they still haven't really changed anything. It's still basically, it's Josh Allen. Like, that's that's their team. Von Miller's not going to play the first four weeks. The Jets... Who the hell knows, you know, with a new quarterback and, and it being Aaron Rodgers. I mean, just look at Tom Brady when he went to Tampa. They were 7-5, and five, sort of in and out of the playoffs. Then all of a sudden, it all came together. They caught fire towards the end of the season. And then with the Dolphins, you know, it's to his health. You know, is he ever going to stay healthy? So, you know, but of course, that's ignoring that the Patriots have their own question marks all over the place. But, you know, I do think there's a world where the AFC East isn't quite the, the world well, beater division. Let's play this game. All right. I mean, so I mean I mean let's just work with Connor or there. If there are injuries, who's got the highest floor if it has to go to your next level? And let's just do a simple exercise here. Let's take away the starting quarterback and number one receiver from every team. All right. So just help me here. Okay. With the Jets, Zach Wilson becomes your quarterback, and their number two receiver is I don't know who you would say. Uh, maybe Alan Lazard, maybe me, Cole Hardman. Yeah. Maybe, okay, uh, I think Bailey Zappi on the Pats' second better uh, second receiver is better than that. I mean, I know this is no way to judge a football team, but we're just playing with this, right? Jets' defense better than the Patriots, though. Certainly. Okay, but, I mean, so work with me. In Miami, if Tua goes down, they now have Mike White, right? Yeah. Yep. So you take away one of their receivers and Tua, Mike White, and what's ever left, whether Jaylen it's... Waddle. Yeah, Waddle or Hill, however you do that. Cedric Wilson. Okay. I like Miami's depth better there if we're just playing this game. Is it is Barkley? Is Matt Barkley the backup in Buffalo? Uh, No. You know, it, actually, hold on. Let me look at that. I thought it was um, Kyle Allen. Okay. So Kyle Allen and who's their second guy? Matt Barkley is the other one, yeah. Okay. Well, but so what, whatever. They're backup. And, I mean, so like the, the point. So the, the, the point is there that. The drop off in those other places is bigger than it is here, but that doesn't mean I don't know. I mean, I don't agree with it. And if you're banking on injuries across the division to win the division, well, you haven't built a very good team. I mean, that's just 
Right. And I, I think the way you look at it is just, just go by roster. Even if – just go by roster. I think, you know, and I've heard Chris Sims go through the rosters. He has both the Dolphins and the Jets – I think in his top five of talented rosters and the Patriots aren't there, you know, so, you know, you're looking at some sort of thing like, you know, Dolphins, Bills and, and Jets. And then the, and the Patriots are, are fourth among the talent on the roster overall. But look, I'll tell you, I, I still like the Patriots floor. I, I think Bill uh, and the way the roster is built is going to give them a decent floor. I don't think they're going to suck. I don't. I am over six and a half. I'm still probably over seven and a half, even though I'm, I, I'm sort of down on their August. I'm down on their camp and their preseason. I'm still over six and a half, probably over seven and a half. I think they have a high floor. I think the Jets still could be a train wreck because they're the Jets. Do you trust them to get out of their own way? And I mean, they could, but they could also be the Jets. And the Dolphins, I'm not convinced of yet either. And like you said, I think everyone looks at the Bills and say they're trending down. Now, how far down, I don't know. So I, I still like the Patriots floor, but their ceiling, I'm mean, sorry. I mean, then that's usually how you gauge these things. If everyone's at their best or most of their best, 90% of you know how a team can perform or their health, the Pats probably aren't close to these teams. But either way, I promise calls. Here we go. 617-779-0985. Vic in Virginia. Lead us off, Vic. Hey, I just feel like Bill's coaching with no urgency at all. I think he's okay with it. It takes three seasons for him to pass Shula's record. And right now, it's time for him to take Brady's words. Retire when you suck, because he sucks. Okay. I don't think he sucks, but I certainly don't feel like he's managing the thing, Greg, like some sort of clock is ticking on him. No, I would agree. And and But I look, I'm not going to say he suddenly lacks urgency. I just think he's doing what he's always done. And I think he, just like last year, you think he might have learned the lesson last year with the Matt Patricia thing about like, hmm, I didn't realize how much Josh McDaniels did for me. Uh, I guess I need to recalibrate that, which I guess you could say he sort of did. But I just think every year since Tom Brady, there's been some sort of built-in excuse for Bill in his mind. You know, 2020 was, all right, you know, we're resetting the cap. Cam Newton was the last guy. We couldn't pay much for quarterback, according to Bill, and COVID. All right. Then the next year we bring in Mac Jones. We have a rookie. There's a ceiling, but we made it to the playoffs. So we were making progress last year. Uh, you know, that was all right. I guess that was my fault, but <laughs> now, now we corrected that with Billy O'Brien. So everything's good, you know, but I think he's, he's just not seeing the context of, you know, I did this this way, but you know, I, did I underestimate how much Brady McDaniels, Skarnecchia and Ivan fears did, and none of them are there. And there's a whole new cast of characters. He did underestimate it. Jeff and Newton, what do you got, Jeff? Yes, this is a question for uh, Greg, and I, I appreciate his insight and film analysis. Um, for Ezekiel Elliott, besides his role as a backup, does he bring added benefit having played in the NFC East, and that's the four teams that the Patriots are going to play uh, this year, especially Dallas and Philadelphia at the beginning of the year, or is it more like Kathy just asking for the transfer orders and they know it all from their own film study? Yeah, that, that stuff, you know, it's even overrated. Like when they bring in a guy, they sign a guy to his practice squad from the team they're about to play. Hmm. They, I, I think even last year there was a guy they did that with and it, it, the reporter asked him, he's like, yeah, I haven't talked to them at all. The Patriots know, you know, on film from their own study, uh, everything they need to know. You know, now look, I think Zeke was a good, 
addition. I think he helps this team. I think he helps this team, uh, you know, in, in, in a variety of ways, uh, you know, spelling Ramondre Stevenson, you know, every third series or so. He can do some of the third down back stuff. I wouldn't over-rely on that because he's slow. He's not breaking any tackles. He's not running away from anybody. But he will pick up the blitz. So if you're worried about, like, say, against the Eagles in week one, you're worried about protection, uh, you know, Zeke might be in there more than he would against other teams and, and also short yardage. So, you know, I'm glad that Zeke's here, but he's not going to help with any NFC East intel. Six one seven 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 nine zero ninety eight five. Three up, three down from training camp in the preseason with the big boy right after this. And by this, I mean the headlines. Here's the latest. Hey. Now, now. Belger and Mass continues. And now it's time for three up. Touchdown, Patriots! Two big throws on this drive by Mac Jones, your quarterback. What a throw on the skinny. I'll take more of this, please. Three down. Put a jacket on him. He don't want to be out here. Sit him down. With Greg Bedard from bostonsportsjournal.com. Three up. I know you're very results-oriented. I get that. Three down. It's a fail all around. Fail, fail, fail. On Belger and Mass on 98.5 The Sports Hub. All right, let's do this thing. Three up, three down with Greg Bedard. It's brought to you by Tullamore Dew Irish Whiskey. Enjoy the game with the original triple distilled, triple blended, and triple cask matured Tullamore Dew Irish Whiskey. Because when it's game time, it's Tully time. Please drink responsibly. Three up, three down from the preseason slate and training camp. Want to throw that in as well. Usually Maz chimes in. He's off today. Big Jim Murray is alongside Murray. You want to play? Mateki, yeah. you want to play? You guys want to play along? Yeah, I, sure, think, I, I think my film work uh, can be part of this, sure. Damn straight. Let's yeah. go. Number one up from training camp, big boy. I would say it's overall for the preseason and what I saw out there, I thought J.J. Taylor had the best preseason. Uh, the guys who played this preseason, I thought he, he, he looks like he's ready to be the third bound back for this team, at least give them an option. Yeah, I thought he was fantastic in the last two preseason games and really you know, opened up my eyes as far as pass protection and things like that. I'm going with okay. Ronnie Perkins. He was the only guy that stood out to me in this final dud of a preseason game. Nine tackles, was all over the field, puked on it too. He's my first up from the summer. I'm going to go with Kendrick Bourne. Uh, just based on the season he had last year, that Green Bay game showed me a little something. I think he's the best receiver on this team. I'll go with Kendrick Bourne. J.J. Taylor and Ronnie Perkins. That is scary. I've always liked J.J. Taylor, believe me. But that those are the guys that are showing, that's sort of what I'm talking about with the soft opening and the soft-ass August that the Patriots had. Either way, uh, number two star there, Greg. I'm going to group in all the rookies uh, into this, you know, because I could separate, you know, Christian Gonzalez and Keon White and, you know, Marte Mapu of what we've seen. But just in general, I think that the rookie class has looked really good, you know, from, you know, top to bottom. I mean, from Christian Gonzalez at cornerback to Isaiah Bolden before the injury, uh, he showed well this summer and you, you know, you had the kicker and the punter and uh, I, you know, I think even the interior guys, I would say Jake Andrews came along. Moffy was probably the best of the bunch. Uh, so definitely struggled at tackle. He's probably not a tackle right now. He might be in time, but I thought the, the rookie class showed really well this whole summer. I'm going with Mike Kosicki. He made that sick one-handed touchdown catch, Mike, the day that you and I mm-hmm. were actually down at camp, covering camp, huh? Take that. Look at that. Uh, so that was enough for me to think he could be a weapon in the offense for the offense in the red zone this year. Keon White, I think that guy could be a beast. He is built like a real impact player. That first preseason game makes it go, hmm, Keon White's my second up. 
Keon White's the number one up from the team in training camp. Number three, Greg. So this is going to be a little bit odd, but I'm going to say Bill Belichick, the coach. And and this is the reason that I think that getting Billy O'Brien back here has allowed Belichick to get back to his best self. He obviously has turned over the defense basically to Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo. Uh, When Bill is at practice, he spends a lot of time uh, with the offense, but not doing a whole lot, I think. And and moving Joe Judge over the special teams, I think that helps. And I just think Bill's been able to get back to what he needs to do for this team, which is just think crap up and throw situations at people and get the team prepared. Instead of last year, he was just he was underwater the whole year with the whole offense from the get go. That I think it really hurt the rest of the team. McCarthy's number two is my number one, Keon White. That first preseason game, I said at the time, he was like Jefferson from Fast Times. Every time he looked up, he was wrecking somebody. Looks like a smart player, looks the part in terms of the body type. They might have find some, found something with this kid. Pop Douglas, the fact that he essentially made the team a couple weeks into camp as a six-rounder says something. He's on the list. Number one is Keon White. Number two is Demario Douglas. That's one and two risers on the Felger big board. All right, three down. Who's your number one down? Greg from training camp. Number one down is just the offensive line overall. Though they never one day got to practice together. I mean, it's no way to go into a season, especially with the schedule that they have coming up. So, you know, not having any offensive line, you can understand. All right, well, when he was coming back, Cole Strange was a little bit bad luck, uh, I guess. But just going through a whole summer and off season without the offensive starting offensive line practicing together. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Number one down, with apologies to my dad, it's Bailey Zappi. The fever is broken. Um, I don't know who the hell would be able to play behind that offensive line, but he looked lost for the most part, missing guys wide, missing guys high, putting the ball on the ground. Zappi was crappy. He's the number one down. Your number one down, obviously, is Jack Jones. Played a lot in the third preseason game. Might go to jail. Bad summer. <laughs> <laughs> number one down is Riley Reef. I know Greg said the whole offensive line, but Riley Reef got something approaching real money. Uh, got $4 million guaranteed, $5 million in total. They expected him to be a starter. Now he's playing at guard. Now he's hurt. Riley Reef is your number one down. Who's number two, Greg? The 2022 draft class, who I think about you know, once Zappy played well, everybody thought it was the greatest draft class like ever. Cole Strange hasn't been on the field. You know, I think he'll be fine. Tyquan Thornton, not on the field. Marcus Jones didn't really show well at corner uh, this summer. Jack Jones, McTakey just mentioned his issues. Pierre Strong, gone for, for nothing. Uh, Kevin Harris is probably gone. Sam Roberts he could make the team, won't have much of a role. Jason Hines, gone. Andrew Stuber, if he's not gone already, he will be gone. I mean, that was a rough class one year out. Uh, I went with two offensive linemen as my number two down, and that's Andrew Stuber in City South. Every time you saw these guys play in these preseason games, they were getting thrown around like pillows by opposing defensive linemen. They both suck. I have to go Riley Reef. Uh, you know, to the points that have already been make, uh, made, real money, uh, he might not be really good at all. It's a problem. Get- Okay, Jack Jones is would be on my list. I'm playing along today just because I feel like it. Jack Jones, and it's not, you know, trying to run loaded guns through Logan Airport, which, again, like top three stupidest things you've ever heard, but just sort of the way that he carried himself. And not that I was down there every day, but you guys certainly reported it out, Greg. He got walked off or stormed off the practice field one day. There, and then in this last preseason game, his pass interference, there, there was something off about that. It He didn't just run into the receiver. 
he sort of shoved him to the ground, like all sorts of angrily. And it wasn't like he even tried to sell it or tried to get out of it. He just sort of blatantly, I mean, you guys know what I'm talking yeah, about, right? It was, it was like second drive for 22 yards. And it, it was like, um, it was, it was, it was just blatant. Like it, it was, I mean, it was probably a no doubt, uh, pass interference, but if, if you had any doubt, he made sure you threw it by sort of mugging the guy unnecessarily. Yeah. It's like, what are you all angry about, dude? You got beat and you ran into the receiver. Well, I, I just thought it was an odd reaction to a guy that got beat. And it's like, this dude is, he's a ticking time bomb, Greg. I mean, from everything that you guys sort of report and the very little that we see, he's, man, there's a reason he played in that last preseason game. I wonder how long he is for this team. Either way, third down. Uh, zappy. And, and look, I haven't been his biggest supporter, but he, you know, he won me over last year where I thought to the point where like, good, now you know you have a good solid backup, occasional spot starter. But now, after the summer in the last preseason game, I'm even rethinking that, that. That like I don't know if he's a fit for this offense. I think that I think that they are looking for other options as sort of a veteran backup quarterback. Um, you know, probably not with the waiver wire, or, you know, or trade or anything. But I think they're on the lookout, and they they could bring some guys in because you know if you do surprise, if you are in it, and Mac Jones. By the way, I meant to bring this up with you, Felger. I don't know if you heard Reese on on uh, Zolak and Bertrand, but he basically said that Mac Jones got really hurt in the Packers preseason game, and that's part of the reason why they called off Oof. the Titans practices. So that's already an issue. He before got really we... hurt? Like, what do you mean really hurt? I don't know. He said that he was – Mike said, and, and maybe they could pull the audio, Mike said that it was a credit to his toughness that he even practiced at home after that game. All right, Faye. Okay, so they're already I, there, but so you need so you might need somebody better than Bailey Zappi to operate this offense. All right, I did miss that. So, Kevin, if you don't if you don't mind, at some point, let's hear what uh, Reese had to say. All right, so that there's that. Uh, what are you, Murray and uh, McTakey, your third down. Jack Jones. I mean, he has to make the permutation on everybody's list, and besides the arsenal and the carry on at Logan, it's everything you were talking about in this last preseason game, Mike. The pass interference. He was in coverage for a thirty yard completion late in the second quarter, and he sucked against the run too. My third down is all of us for having to experience the most worthless NFL preseason to date. They get worse every year, and if you make me pick a player, uh, I guess I take Bailey Zappi. It's getting worse every year. We're going to visit this, uh, revisit this in 10 questions with Bedard next hour. But when we get back to your phones, we'll flush out to what Reese had to say about Mac Jones and Chris Sims with a borderline whopper on what he's hearing on Bill Belichick's future. You don't want to miss it. It all comes your way next in the long commercial-free segment, and we'll take your calls, too. Continues on the Sports Hub. Bill Belichick has not had uh, under six and a half wins since going five and eleven in two thousand, his first year with the Patriots. Like I just kind of threw it out there. If they win six games, and it might be the end for Bill Belichick, but like you could kind of see the end of an era. Perhaps I don't. I don't know that people think he's going to be coaching for another five years from here on out. Do I, we? I no, definitely. Like, if not. they have a bad year, if they finish last in the division. We're coming down the home stretch. Win five or six games. Too many people I know connected with the situation, life and football, Mm -hmm. where it's one, two more years. I don't think he's going to hang around just to beat Don Shula's record, right? I think he'd like to beat it, but if it doesn't happen, okay. He's going to hold up his six Super Bowl rings and go, well, I beat you in this department, right? Um, But, yeah, I think we're, we're definitely down to the last year or two of the Bill Belichick era in New England. 
All right, welcome back. Felger and Maz, 98.5 The Sports Hub. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming Felger's probably downloading the Brown Report. He's not back in his undisclosed location. So it's Jim Murray, <laughs> Matt McCarthy, and uh, it's a big boy Tuesday, which means Greg Bedard of Boston Sports Journal is here. Chris Sims uh, basically saying that Bill Belichick not long for the Patriots. Ah, uh, here comes Mike. Hey. <laughs> Mike, you want to reset this with that Chris Sims sound? You, you back? Everything good? Sorry about that. My bad. <laughs> you played that Chris Sims cut, huh? We sure did. What the hell is he talking about? What do you think he knows? I, I think it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, between you know his dad and the Giants, and and you know that he lives in New Jersey, all those sort of connections. You think that he has some insider knowledge of some of the chatter that's going that's going around? There's no doubt. I don't think there's any question. He's got some Patriots juice. He has for a while. He worked here. Yep. He worked it for a time on the staff. So he's still got buddies. He had some good stuff on Deflategate. He knew the, he knew Birdman and those guys. He was tight with those guys. He He's tied in. He, and he was uh, ahead of the Mac Jones stuff last year. I think he was the first one to really intimate the stuff about Mac Jones calling down to Alabama and all that stuff. So, no, Sims has some sort of insidery credentials here when it comes to the Patriots. And he said, uh, what, family things there with Bill Belichick? So do we believe him? I don't know. I mean, if this is coming from ownership, haven't we said now for a few years it's all bark, no bite? Like, I just don't think if push comes to shove that even if they had a terrible season, they're going to push Bill out the door. It'll just be more sword rattling from Robert, and that's going to be it. Yeah, I have a hard time believing this, to be totally honest. I, I, mean, I mean, overall, I I have a hard time seeing it because I see Bill out of practice every day. He hasn't changed, and just like I said, up in three, three up and three down. Like, he's doing Belichick things again at practice. Like, he looks energized he looks youthful he's been freed up now i do think there's a lot of circumstantial evidence or at least some circumstantial evidence that points to this and i wrote about this earlier in the off season where you look at how much money basically how many decisions they have to make for next season after this year and if you if you looked at it objectively you could say man this kind of smells like all right Bill got in trouble with the owner last year for the whole Matt Patricia thing. And basically, they, Bill said, look, I screwed up. That's my fault. You know, give me another chance. And Robert basically said, like, all right, fine. You get, you get another chance. Everybody gets a mulligan. But you don't get to t- touch 2024. Like, all that cap space that we have, all the decisions on extensions and and." You know, all the free agents, like nobody signed for next year. They All right, Devontae Parker got signed. but And they could come to extensions here with Duggar and Owenu and those guys, but nobody's re-up for next year. They have so many free agents, and they have to make the decision on Mac Jones that you could look at it and say, Bill asked for one more year, and Mayo, and the other thing is, Mayo took himself out of head coaching interview opportunities, like free and clear. Once they, they, so what did they talk about? So you could say the circumstantial evidence looks like Bill has told them, like, either I'm out after this year or he's on a one year plan. He's got to prove it. So, I mean, this is what I took from the cut. And again, I was late coming back, so I missed rehearing it. But when I heard it this morning, it, it really felt like it was more about from uh, Bill's side than it was Kraft's side. You know what I mean? That I did he mention family things in there? I know I said that earlier. But he mentioned family things, well, which means, yeah, go ahead, replay it, replay it. My, my fault, but replay it. 
Bill Belichick has not had uh, under six and a half wins since going five and eleven in two thousand, his first year with the Patriots. Like I just kind of threw it out there. If they win six games, then it might be the end for Bill Belichick. But like you could kind of see the end of an era, perhaps. I don't. I don't know that people think he's going to be coaching for another five years from here on out. Do I, we? I no, definitely. Like, if not. they have a bad year, if they finish last in the division. We're coming down the home stretch. Win five or six games. Too like, many people I know connected with the situation, life and football, mm-hmm. where it's one, two more years. I don't think he's going to hang around just to beat Don Shula's record, right? I think he'd like to beat it, but if it doesn't happen, okay. He's going to hold up his six Super Bowl rings and go, well, I beat you in this department, right? Um, but, yeah, I think we're we're definitely down to the last year or two of the Bill Belichick era in New England. Okay, I think that's from the Bill side. That's just a guess because it just felt personal. You know, life and football. He even had a rationale for how Bill justifies it if he doesn't pass Shula. Well, I got more Super Bowls than you, so F you. You know, so it's it's like he's, I don't know. I feel it comes from, I feel this is a Belichick camp kind of thing. Could be wrong. So, I don't believe it. <laughs> I mean, when I say I don't believe it, I believe Sims got it from people who should know and would know. And I don't doubt that Bill might be saying that. I, I can totally see Belichick saying, yeah, I don't need to pass Shul. I got six Super Bowls. What does he got? You know, I don't need that record. I'm good. I totally could see Bill falsely, falsely, false modesty saying that record doesn't mean anything to me. So I can totally see Bill saying that, or yep. people around Bill saying that. That's but I don't posturing. believe it. Yes, I believe Bill's. I I believe wants. I I think Bill wants that thing badly. I think he wants it more than anything, and I think he will hang on to get it. If it takes a third year, he's going to hang on into the third year. If the Pats are going to have him, and if not, he's going to go somewhere else. That's what I think. Well, it's one thing to say that now, right? But let's say two years from now, you're a couple wins away. You're like, well. The hell with it. I might as well come back for the next year and get the title. Like, I can understand how you would say it two or three years out. But you're telling me he's going to get close to the thing and he's just going to walk away? No way. I don't see that happening. I think the Robert Kraft angle is the more interesting angle based on the issues that those guys clearly have with each other, based on, you know, the comments made at the owners' meetings earlier this offseason. That might be the thing that gets in the way. It's not going to be Bill getting in the way of it. It might be Robert and Bill getting in the way of it. I agree, and I've been saying this forever. His departure will is not his call. He's not going to determine when he walks away. Kraft's going to determine when he walks away because I, I don't care what Bill is saying now or who he said that to that came back to Sims. You will have to crowbar Bill out of here. Just like an athlete, just like 90% of the athletes, the best of the best, uh, and the guys you think would walk away a long time ago, 90% of these guys stick around until their cold, dead hands are ripped out of the locker room. And I don't blame them. I'd be the same way. You want to pay me to play ball? I'll play till I'm 80. If you let me, you'll have to fire me. I ain't going to quit. So I'm not like, I don't look down on the athletes that handle it that way because I would do the exact same thing. But I think Bill's going to be like that. Bill's going to be that guy. Why would he quit? He makes a boatload of money, and he's in full control. He, you know, he has a boss, but not, you know, as much as an NFL coach doesn't have a boss, he doesn't have one. He controls everything, makes gobs of money, works with his family, works in the region of the country he wants to work in. Why would you walk away from that? And he's in decent health for a guy his age. Why would you walk away from it? He's not going to walk away. So I don't believe. I don't. I. I don't doubt he might have said that, and that came back to Sims. But I don't believe it.
I don't believe Bill. I agree with you. I, I think that Bill's Bill's not leaving unless Kraft forces him out. I I, I think he's going to be here forever. And look, not, and maybe not at this stage. There will be a point where he might. I mean, for Pete's sake, if he's 75, the old fart, and he's winning at a high level, okay, if he's 75 and he's winning at a high level and there's no reason to fire him, okay, maybe now when we're talking, if he gets deep, deep into this thing and they're on top, then I'll say it's his decision. Anything short of that, I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to buy it. Maybe this is a precursor. It just occurs to me. Maybe this is a precursor and Bill getting out ahead of the PR because he knows he's on thin ice with Kraft. And so he's uh, planting yeah. a seed there that says, you know, I, I'm, I'm walking away anyway. I'm not fired. I quit. That, that old thing. Oldest trick in the book. I wasn't fired. I was ready to walk away. And maybe he's planting that seed. Murray, what do you think of that one? Yeah. Bill wanting to save face. That sounds like something he'd do. Yes, exactly. All right, there you go. There's that topic. Add it to the list. I promise. Right to your phones after Jim Murray's 90-second update. Like never no before at BetMGM. Sign up using the promo code WBZMASS and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Massachusetts only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire seven days from issuance. Play it smart from the start with GameSense. GameSenseMA.com. Gambling problem? Call one 800 327 or visit GamblingHelplineMA.org in partnership with MGM Springfield. B-Pod Studios. Now, the show you'll be talking about. That was not me hemming and hawing. In therapy. Socks! Socks, stocks, stupid socks. It's Felger and Mass, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook on 98.5 The Sports Hub. All the trades with the offensive tackles and the linemen, I guess... It speaks to the need for every team to have depth at those positions. I guess how important is depth along the offensive line, given you know it's really one of the keys to the offense throughout the entire season. Right. Well, depth's important at every position in your roster. On your roster, it just, you just don't know when you're going to need it. Sometimes you go through a year and you never need the depth, and then sometimes. You, you need a lot of depth at certain positions. It's just, you know, it's an insurance policy that you don't know whether you're going to need or not. Um, so one of the things about the offensive line is the amount of, you know, teamwork and, and uh, communication that goes with those five players. So, um, you know, putting a new one in is not the easiest thing to do. It's never easy, but it's not the easiest thing to do because of the – you know, the coordination that needs to take place between, you know, all five of those players. But you try to have as much depth as you can uh, on your roster for those contingencies, um, not knowing for sure where you're going to need that, you know. And so, um, you know, Tom Brady got hurt in 2008, first play, first game. And, you know, and it turns out you need depth at that position, you know, with Castle and, and that never happened again. Um, so it's just a little bit of that's unpredictable. Um, but you just have to be prepared for. And we felt like this is an opportunity for, you know, to work with two young players that would give us that. And we'll see how it goes. It's hour number two with Greg Bedard. Speaking of Bill Belichick, that was him yesterday talking about the offensive line situation. Combine that with his answers in his interview on EEI, Greg, where he said, well, what do you mean? What? 
what do you what do you mean we didn't address the offensive line? We drafted three guys and we signed two more in free agency. I'm not sure what you're talking about. How do you think he handled that question yesterday? Uh, I think it's a joke. I mean, it's you know that he he says, oh well, we addressed it by drafting three internal guard type guys. I mean, it's just it's a joke. He knows what we're asking about. He knows what the problem is on his team. And he won't even answer the question, you know, just answer it. Just say, well, you know, we thought we had, we thought Riley Reef had some more football left in him. We thought that Calvin Anderson was a guy who was a backup in Denver, but we thought we saw some upside on his film. And so we decided to go that route instead of spending 15 to $17 million on a, on a proven guy who, you know, sometimes those guys aren't the most durable in the world. So that's what we decided to do. You know, I just, I mean, it's, it's just the way he answers some of these questions. I mean, you know, look, we're not idiots. Just just give us a real answer once in a while. Mm-hmm. All right, let's grab some phones before we uh, get to 10 questions with the big boy. John in Oklahoma, lead us off this hour. You're up next with Felger, Murray, and Greg Bedard. Go ahead, John. Hey, guys. So I, last year, the defense, the only good part of it was it wasn't a complete train wreck like the uh, special teams and offense were. And great, you beat up on, you know, Arizona's third string quarterback, but you have a way tougher schedule this year. And I just don't understand why this defense is being so, like, highly rated. I've heard people say it might be a top five defense. Like, where is that coming from? I mean, these guys are the boogeymen all over again. Thanks for taking the call, guys. Okay, when he says boogeyman, he means a fraud. Greg, do you think this defense will be exposed against the good quarterbacks and offenses they're facing? Well, I'll say this. Um, you know, I think the reason he asked, like, where the talk's coming from, the talk is you look at where the team has invested, where Belichick has invested, it's the defense. I mean, they're deep all over the place. And so if you're going to believe in the Patriots, you are you're going to believe that they have the formula that defense can still win in this league, that you can have a great defense and a mediocre offense. And, and I was just looking at it, and, and it was something I, I read from um, the old Football Outsiders Almanac that – you know the teams that have done that are uh, the the well the most recent team the most relevant comparison for the Patriots. That if you're looking for the Patriots, this is the way that they contend this year. It's the 2015 Broncos. You look at that defense and they were stacked. I mean, they had Demarcus Ware, they had Keeb Talib, and Chris Harris. All these guys. They were a great defense. Peyton Manning had like nine touchdowns, seventeen interceptions, only threw for like two thousand yards. Even the running backs, Ronnie Hillman led the team with 800 yards. Now, they did have Demarius Thomas and uh, who was the other one? Um, Decker? Uh, or was that after Decker? Who was no, the tight end? It was Emmanuel scored? Sanders. So, oh, okay, Demarius, yeah, Thomas Sanders. Had, Demarius Thomas had 1,300 yards. Manny Sanders in his prime had 1,100 yards. Then the next best receiver was Owen Daniels. It was Owen Daniels, Jordan Norwood, Benny Fowler. So, that's the formula from eight years ago that they did that with that team. Now, as far as where the Patriots are, and, and do I think it's a that they're a fraud? Not necessarily. Um, I do think that there are some things going for them. I do think that Christian Gonzalez looks like he's going to be pretty good. I think that I like the safeties. I am worried about free safety. I thought Marte Mapu is going to be a good player. He looked tentative in his first outing. That's fine. It's his first NFL game. I expected that. He did show speed and explosiveness. And then you look at their ability to line up in sub-packages with Judon, Uche, Christian Barmore, who did nothing this summer, by the way, and Keon White. 
you know, you have something. But the the cornerbacks and free safety are gonna have to come through on this team. If they do, you are talking a top five unit. Do I have my doubts whether that's gonna happen? Yes. And there's no question that that the schedule this year is one of the biggest factors. And I think, you know, people who look at last year, they completely discount it. That they, you know, seven of their eight wins came against backup or worse quarterbacks. I mean, you have to factor that in. So based on that comp, someone has to be the left corner on that 2015 team was Aqib Tlaib. Can one of these guys be Aqib Tlaib? Well, Jack Jones is kind of that. Well, in terms of the trouble, sure. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, in the mouthiness and the way he carries himself. I mean, Tlaib was much bigger and thicker and, you know, much better. But, you know, you're hoping that Christian Gonzalez continues to show what he did in the the last preseason game, which is, you know, more physicality and more of that dog in him. Because I think, you know, if you if you combine Jack Jones and Christian Gonzalez, you have one hell of a cornerback, uh, probably the best cornerback in the league. But you know, does Gonzalez have that in him? We'll see. Malik and Haverhill on those Chris Sims comments. Go ahead, Malik. Hey, guys. Uh, so first, Murray, I wanted to blame you about Zappy, but I respect how you handle it, so kudos to you. But my main point is about the Sims comment you guys played earlier in the show. And, Mike, you hit on it a little bit, but I think Bill is protecting himself with this comment. When he says there are life factors, and I, I don't want to sound harsh here, but it sounds like he's saying, guys, I am 70 years old. You know, I do have two kids, and, uh, I, you know, they're on my staff. I'm trying to take care of them and everything. So it sounds like he's protecting himself a little bit, trying to say that, you know, I'm not in my prime here, so you guys have to work with me a little bit. And and real quick, I just want to hit on, uh, you know, the Kraft point of view from from here. I just I, When Kraft hears these comments, I can't help but think that he's just going to wait out Be- Belichick until he's gone because he doesn't want to be seen as the guy that let Brady and Belichick go. And if Belichick leaves and succeeds at somewhere else, it'll look so bad on Kraft. So that's okay. all. It's all sorts of delicate like that. Like, and there's all sorts, this happens all the time. You just saw Mookie Betts come back. No, man, I wanted to be here. I thought I was going to be here for life. Like, everyone passes the buck when it comes to these divorces and the departures. And I quit. I wasn't fired. Oh, we 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 wanted to sign Tom. It was just time for him to go. You know, so, like, everyone passes the buck. And no one wants to take the hit. And Bill's ego will not stand for him being fired. So he, he is not going to be fired. That That is guaranteed. Correct. He's going to walk away. And not be fired. There's no way we're going to show up on Monday after the regular season with a press release from the Patriots saying, you know, Bill Bell, you know, that's just not happening. Uh, but so maybe he's just sort of starting that process. He, the, 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 those, those skids are already sort of being greased. I, I, you know, I'm not long for this thing anyway. I've done everything I could do. I've got a family. I've got reasons to move on. And if I don't catch Shula, I don't catch Shula. It's not the most important thing for me anyway. Uh, my time is coming. And he's sort of setting the stage for that, but nowhere do I believe in his heart of hearts he wants to go. Mike, he don't want. He don't, he don't want to go anywhere. Mike, what do you think that, um, considering what happened this offseason, specifically with Gerard Mayo, that you know, and we've talked about this before, that there's whole this whole Belichick ecosystem around the Patriots. You know, mm. all these people who have, you know, uh, lifer employee. I mean, this stuff never happens in New England. You know, a lot of people who want to see the status quo continue. Do you think that Belichick could have worked it to where, you know, the Mayo factor was, okay, well, look, I'll agree to step aside in a year or two if Gerard, you know, keeps everybody in place. Like Great point. that sort of thing. 100%. 100%. And, and that he more might feel more comfortable, you know, leaving that he knows that, 
Steve's going to be defensive coordinator. Gerard's going to be head coach. Billy O'Brien's going to be offensive coordinator. You know, all, all that stuff. Basically, everybody stays in place. It's just Mayo succeeds Belichick as head coach. So, look, I, I, I think that could absolutely be, be true. I think Bill takes pride in bettering people's career, never mind his own kids, but Al Groh's kid. You know, like that's a perfect yep. example. He gave Matt Groh the shot. Matt Groh was probably, Matt Groh was probably promoted ahead of Elliot Wolf and, you know, by seniority, didn't deserve this. Bill gave him the role, and so Bill would love to see him stay and succeed in the role because that reflects back on Bill. Never mind, you know, lifelong friends like Billy O'Brien. So, yeah, I think that's probably part of it. And so if Bill's, like, assessing this now, and he swings some sort of deal, you know, I'll step aside in a year or two, but everything stays in place, and this is our general understanding. Yes, when it comes time to walk away and you got to turn in the whistle, and not collect that paycheck? Uh, I'll believe it when I see it with Bill. Well, he I'll could be- get, you know, he could get kicked upstairs to some, you know, team president role where all right, now he's making 10 million dollars a year and, you know, uh-huh. all that stuff. Yeah, no, no. The Crafts love just continuing <laughs> to pay people tens of millions of dollars for Yeah, but they still get to keep the, you know, l- like we said about this team. What's the selling point on this team? A year from now, if Belichick is not the head coach of the Patriots, what's the selling point of this team? At least if Bill is in some sort of name yeah. affiliated with the organization, doesn't doesn't that help their bottom line a yeah, little bit? I like it. We're putting this all together. <laughs> uh, let, let's do uh, 10 questions with Bedard right after this, and we'll get back to your phones. Com. We're back with more Felger and Mads. You want the answer? You've got to ask the question. Do you have an opinion based on if you had to go with your gut, what, which way it would go? Uh, Sometimes you have to ask it over and over and over again. Why, 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 why? This is 10 Questions with Greg Bedard and Felger and Mass on 98.5 The Sports Hub. Welcome back. Felger and Maz, 98.5 The Sports Hub. Doing this once again. You'd think Felger knows the timeline of our commercial breaks at this point. How many years in has he been doing this show? About 14. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but nope. Not back from the crapper. Oh, here he comes. Uh, but yes, time for 10 questions with Greg Bedard. What do I keep doing? Why am I doing this? you got to remember the summer commercials, Mike. Uh, shorter breaks. My fault. Okay, my fault. Do we have the buzzer options? Go. Last time I do that. Sorry. Go. Gold glove, silver slugger, platinum performance, and penis, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, man. That's an all-timer. Next. He beat off Bryce Young. <laughs> nope. That's the that's that's Get the your one. mind out of the gutter. That's the no, he be yeah, I I understand he beat him out for the job, but it, in Alabama there's a whole nother layer of too. Yeah, well whatever. Go ahead. This is all part of the BSS, the baloney sandwich syndrome. <laughs> Next. I had a hose back then. <laughs> what else you got? Offensive talent. Would you agree with offensive talent? Well, what about like guys like Jacoby Brissett? <laughs> that was a good one. Next. Uh, that was it. Last one. Okay, that was it. All right, hit it, Kevin. Go. I had a hose back then. Number 10, Greg, what do you make of Jerry Jones not telling Dak Prescott or Mike McCarthy he was trading for Trey Lance before pulling off the deal? Not much. It's Jerry saying, I own and manage this team, and you play and coach, and I don't have to tell you anything. 
Yeah, showing them both who's boss. I think he's losing faith in Prescott, getting to the playoffs and then losing. He knows McCarthy probably wouldn't have approved. It's my team. I'll do what I want with it. So if I want to get me a young and supple quarterback to add to my stable, hot damn, I'm going to do it. He thinks Cousin Mike is a boob, and I don't blame him for not telling him one bit. It's kind of dysfunctional, though. Next. Gold Club, Silver Slugger, Platinum Performance. In penis, probably. (laughs) I don't know where that came from. Number nine, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers over under is eight and a half at the DraftKings Sportsbook. Okay. Give me over under eight and a half. Also tell me who will score more points this year, Pittsburgh or New England. Also tell me who will be ranked higher at quarterback, Kenny Pickett or Mac Jones. That's a lot. Uh, no, it's not. Over, it's three simple things. Over on the wins, barely. Uh, probably nine and eight. Uh, I think that the uh, I think that the Patriots are going to score more points. I like look. I like Kenny Pickett. I like some of their weapons. I like their offense. But man, their offense coordinator, that system, that Matt Canada system. Even though the Patriots are probably going to have to run that in Week One against the Eagles because they can't <laughs> block anybody, uh, it's horrible. And but I do like Pickett. I think he's going to be higher rated than Mac Jones slightly this year. Over in wins, Steelers are going to be the seventh seed in the AFC playoffs, taking it from the Patriots. Pittsburgh will score more points. Pickett will be ranked higher than Jones. I am with Jim Murray on all of those. Yes, I am as well. The only way the Patriots score more points is if they're getting blown out a lot and there's some plastic yards and plastic points at the end of these games uh, late in the fourth quarter when the game has been decided. Next. He beat off Bryce Young. (laughs) So weird how you move up and down the depth chart at Alabama. I Number uh, eight, same question, but with the Green Bay Packers. Packers, their over-under at DraftKings is 7.5. Who will score more points this year, the Packers or the Patriots? Who will be ranked higher at quarterback, Jordan Love or Mac Jones? Go. Packers over. Uh, Packers score more points. They just have a they – they play in a worse division, easier schedule. Uh, but I have Mac over – over Jordan Love because I think they're going to rely a lot on their running game, Aaron Jones and uh, uh, A.J. Dillon. Over. Uh, might also win what I think is maybe the weakest division in football. I think the Vikings are going to regress. Too much hype around Detroit, Chicago, trash. Jordan Love ranked higher than Mac Jones. Yeah, okay. over on the Packers. Uh, I'll take the Packers offense over the Pats, but I will take Jordan Love over. I'll take Mac Jones over Jordan Love. So I agree with all those. I think Mac Jones will be higher rated. You know, when I say ranked higher, I, you know, that sort of nebulous, uh, the PFF, I don't necessarily mean quarterback rating. I think Mac Jones will have a higher quarterback rating. He will be a more efficient quarterback than Jordan Love. But I like the Packers on the over, and I like their offense to be pretty good this year. Next. This is all part of the BSS, the baloney sandwich syndrome. Okay, Greg, with the news this week that the Arizona Cardinals have released quarterback Colt McCoy, who has gone 3-3 three and three as a fill-in starter the last two years. And we'll go with either rookie Clayton Toon or Joshua Dobbs to start the year. I ask, should the NFL institute a draft lottery or some other form of anti-tanking measure? Uh, I say no, because I just think that in this in this league, compared to any other, one singular player isn't going to really turn around anybody's fortunes quickly. I mean, even you could say quarterback, but Patrick Mahomes went, you know what, like tw- 10th or 12th in, in his draft. And, you know, also the, the NFL draft is such a crap show that I don't think it's more important to try to, to get parity in the league. And I think this helps. I say no, because the anti-tanking measure is sort of baked in based on the player who's going first. In other words, this Caleb Williams out of USC, the quarterback, he's already said just in the last week, based on who gets the first overall pick, he might just go back to college. So tank or beware. Yeah, this isn't the NBA. I say no on this. I don't think the NFL has a massive tanking problem. Next. 
offensive talent. Would you agree with offensive talent? Well, what about like guys like Jacoby Brissett? Six. Any thoughts on another preseason game? This time, Miami Jacksonville last week getting canceled because a player got hurt. You're only going to see it more and more because Bill set the trend. People saw that Belichick said it was okay. Now, now it's anytime. You know, unfortunately, it happened another serious injury. But um, you know, if that was a regular season game, neither of those games, you know, would have been postponed. So. Uh, I think you're going to continue to see it. Yeah, that Green Bay Pats game a couple of weeks ago was the tipping point. So now the preseason's basically useless. The product sucks. We can't really glean anything out of it anymore. Just cancel them all at this point. Couldn't agree more. Well, that's what we're going to see. You guys are right. It sets a precedent, and it's going to happen more and more. And, boy, who gets porked out of that? You. The guy that's got to pay the ticket or who wants to, I don't know, watch a little football in August that used to be at least somewhat worthwhile. You get a little something out of it. And now uh, anyone who's a, a rights holder who holds a game, I don't know, like a TV or radio station, or a fan who has to pay the ticket, you know who gets porked on that. It's that group. And uh, they got to do something about it. They, 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 can't just, they can't allow these games to be banged just because the coach or some players want it. As awful as that sounds, if the player's okay and these guys were, uh, you just can't do this every time someone's laid out on the field. You won't have a league. You won't have a sport. Next. Gold Club, Silver Slugger, Platinum Performance, and Penis, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the biggest tool bag, tool bag question of the NFL preseason? Uh, I would say the NFL owners for putting, making people pay full price for that product. Jack Jones, a bag full of guns in an airport, and he tried to get through security. Make it make sense. He's a gun bag tool bag. Jack Jones, <laughs> Jack Jones is the obvious answer here. Tried to bring a magazine, a magazine on a flight, and I'm not talking Sky Mall. Okay, those are two good ones. Next, I had a hose back then. Number four, we all agree the preseason, as we've been discussing, and now, frankly, NFL training camps. The whole thing has become relatively useless. Greg Bedard, if you were commissioner of sports, what would you do to change it? I'm giving in a little bit on this. I am if. Teams decide to do joint practices before a preseason game. They have to be in the stadium, on television, and the if they only say they open up one, it's open to if you bought tickets to the game, you also get admission to that game, and something along those lines. You force them to do the joint practices. You cannot cancel them. You televise them on NFL Network, breakdowns from talking heads, former players, and you ban the preseason games. I would eliminate all of it, and I would eliminate anyone who likes it. I would rule with an iron fist as commissioner of sports. So I don't know what that means. Eliminate all preseason games and joint practices and training camp? I would eliminate preseason games, and I would shorten training camp. Okay. I would not shorten training camp. I would absolutely... Get together in a room and package up the joint practices into a TV-ready product. I don't know exactly how you would do it, but come up with something where there is some kind of scoreboard. All right? I mean, here's the thing. You can bet preseason games. You can't bet joint practices. Can you package up the joint practices into some sort of something where a score is kept and you can gamble on it? What? What? How are you going to do that? I don't know. We can we're gonna figure put, it out. We're going to put some people in a room, and they're going to figure it out. And then I'll tell you whether they got it right or they got it wrong. I, that ain't up to me. Give me some time, big boy. By the time we a hit next week. scoreboard in practice? I'll come up with something. But the, what they're doing now is a joke. But if you guys are right. If, 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 if you're making these season ticket holders pay for these games, put those joint practices in the stadium. Let those season ticket holders go to that. 
format the thing, package the thing, put it on TV, and let's scrap the games. Does everything need to be bet on? Yes. Yeah, I think pretty much. <laughs> Next. He beat off Bryce Young. Again. <laughs> I, have I thought he just words. I just thought he was more accurate and, you know, <laughs> it was more ready for the position. Number three, do you have any insight, Greg, into what the Tom Brady ceremony will entail in the opener? No. And again, let me follow up by saying, do you know, do you, have you heard anything about what's going to happen? Pre-game, halftime, statue, jersey retirement, what? what, what do you, have you heard anything about what's going to happen this night? And subsequently, if you don't, what would you do? What would you do if you were in charge of the whole thing? I don't know anything. I don't give two craps about the Brady pregame ceremony. And uh, give him a statue. Let him talk at halftime, whatever. Now, I was there when Dan Marino retired. They did a whole night at the stadium. Like, Hootie and the Blowfish was there. They played a concert. They sold the place out. Like, it was fun. I went. It was fun. They should do something like that with Brady. But he okay, won't do but, that. But that was, what, in August? It was before the season started? Yeah. Or mm-hmm. what? Yeah. I think so. From what I remember, yeah, it was in August. Yeah, Jim. All right, here's what I do. I, I have no information, but here's what I do if I was running the operation. You unveil a statue of Brady when he'd scream into the end zone in the pregame, let's go! Like, that's the statue. You make it as big as the giant new lighthouse. Uh, you retire the... <laughs> he should be the lighthouse. You re- Why didn't they just put Brady up? You retire the number throughout the league. No one wears 12 ever again. Oh, stop then that. Then you hand Brady the mic at halftime, and all he says into it is... It was me the whole time. Drops the mic. Crowd goes nuts. Eagles go on to win the opener 31 to 10. I just put the 12 on the lighthouse and retire the number. But I like Jim's idea better. Okay. They, they should have made the lighthouse a Brady statue. And people All right. like, do you yeah, really think that Brady. that's... Do you, do you, I, honestly, now, do you think that's cool? What, what? The, the stupid lighthouse? Well, no, the, the, the oh. stupid lighthouse is stupid. But to make the whole thing a number 12 thing, like you can't... Can you sell out to one player? Has anyone... Do the Yankees do that? Does anyone do that? Mm, Yeah, but it's the Patriots. He was the whole organization. Okay, but kind of a special case here. I mean, the Yankees put mine. And now Bill has to look at that all the time. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so you know that's not going to (laughs) happen. You can't sell out to one guy. If 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 you want to say we're gonna we're gonna put a select number of numbers up in a ring of honor, which teams do, and you start with number twelve. Okay, there you go. Like that to me is something I would do. Next. This is all part of the BSS, the baloney sandwich syndrome. Okay, I know, Greg, you don't care, but pretend you do. What should Belichick receive when his day comes? What should his day be like? I want a cool Belichick statue like the Vince Lombardi one outside Lambeau Field. Gold watch and a pat in the ass. (laughs) (laughs) Nice banner somewhere. (laughs) Uh, BB right next to 12. If you're going to start a ring of honor... Number 12 is the first number up there. BB's the next one. And you're super judicious about the thing. You don't put Kevin Falk up there, right? You don't put Matt Light up there. It's a, it is a select, select grouping up there. And it starts with 12, and then the second one is BB. And that, I don't know. That's my idea. You probably think it sucks, but at least I came up with one. Next, okay. last one. Gold glove, silver slugger, platinum performance in penis, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Along these lines, should the 16-0 and banner go back up inside of Gillette? What was your thoughts on that in the first place? Hell no. That's a, a banner to failure. It's like something that would hang up at the Colts stadium. Never. Keep it buried or give it to Chris Gasper because he loves the stupid <laughs> thing. That thing, I've said it since day one. It was a testament to failure. Burn it. Why would you hurt me with a question like that? I never want to think about it or see it again. 
Okay, here comes the update with Matt McCarthy, and we're back with your calls. Don't go anywhere. Every day they work their hardest to give you the best show they can. I think that's rare. It's Felger and Mass on 98.5 The Sports Hub. All right, right back to your calls here, as promised, with Greg Bedard, Ed and Quincy. What do you got, Ed? Yes, I'm a little bit disappointed that the Patriots uh, gave away Nick Folk. I mean, he's been here since 2019, has an 89.2% success rate on field goals. I'm just wondering, who are they going to replace him with? Is this guy any good? Okay, this kid that they drafted, they traded up in the fourth round. For a kid in the draft, and that's going to be the guy. Is he any good, Greg? Yeah, he's yeah, he's really good. He's uh, supremely talented, big leg. Um, you know, he was one of the top ranked guys coming out of college, and uh, look, they got to go with him. I mean, look, I, I know it's scary, but you know, people were saying that going from did they go right from Vinatieri to Goskowski? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm sure people were saying the same sort of thing, and Goskowski was you know really good. So you know, they they get paid to make the make the evaluation. I would say they were about even in training camp. Ryland's got the bigger leg. Yes, he had one really bad day at camp uh, in the wind. And but you know, look, they made their evaluation. They decided they had to go with you know more range. Folks not getting any younger. The injury issues come up as you get older, especially at that position. And you just got to go with it. The can the the kickoff thing is kind of a factor too. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. That last game in Buffalo was that Nick Folk kicking off. Yeah, yeah. and you know because Bailey Jake Bailey was supposed to be the kickoff guy, was the kickoff guy, but then he went down the tubes, and so you know that was that was a factor as well. But the caller mentioned the percentage. You know, he was 58 of 58 from inside 40 in four years here. Like that's. This kid better be good because, you know, there's going to be a lot of meat on that bone in terms of if he sucks. Francis in New Hampshire. Go ahead, Francis. Yeah, hi, gentlemen. I just wanted to ask you folks, uh, in regards to Belichick, the last five seasons or so, we've been watching world-class, best football in the history of the league for over 20 years. This guy's been making ridiculous decisions season after season after season up till now. I think he's quite quitting. There's no way he has football amnesia and doesn't know how to put this team together to compete like he has for the past 20 years. So my question is, do you think he's quietly quitting? And if so, how come? I don't think he's quietly quitting. I think he thinks, like, what happened for 20 years, he'll figure it out. I think in the back of his mind, even though it's sort of obvious it's not the case, but just his the way he's wired and his default position is... We're not playing a game for another month. The games that really matter don't come for another two months. We're going to take this thing slow, step by step, build room to grow. We'll figure it out, and everyone else is stupid and will puke all over themselves, and we'll be the last one standing at the end of the day playing our best football going into the playoffs while everyone else is futzing around because that's what happened for 20 years. And even though it's so obvious that the division is better and the quarterback play is better, around him that he can't shake that mindset. That's why I think it looks like he lacks urgency and the way it looks, the way it looks. I don't think he's quitting. I think he's just sort of lazily living in the past is what it is. Jim in Cambridge, what do you think on the Tom Brady retirement night? Hey, how you doing? I think that they should do um, something kind of like the Cowboys did a bunch of years ago. You don't individualize it, Tom Brady only. What you do do is 
maybe 2001, three, and four, take the group that made the Hall of Fame. I think there's Seymour. Jim. Ugh. Jim, Brady deserves a night, man. Tom Brady is the Patriots. Uh, I mean, just like how Joe Namath to this day is still the Jets. Like, okay. this is how it is. I understand that, but you understand, too. Even if it's true, the organization can't sell out to that thing. They can't become the Bradys. I mean, and I know you, you know, you want to say that, Jim, and troll people with that, and it was true. Well, but yeah. you just, but you just can't do that. I mean, you know that. Yeah, no, you you can't, but you should because it was true. Like, you okay, just said. but all right, but now that you're past that snarky comment, you you know they can't really do it that way. Yeah, no, I know, but I know deep down that they probably should. Okay, <laughs> but so, but the, they he should have a night. I mean, Greg, to, to your thing. The, I mean, when it first came out, I felt it was a mistake to put it on a game day. It's serving as a pretty big distraction for the current team or pressure on the current quarterback. I mean, that's sort of a tough thing now. I mean, look at what Mac Jones is walking into in week one. You've got an offensive line that's clearly a mess and isn't even settled. Going against, what, the best pass rush in football, right? Yep. On a night where the previous guy is looming over everything. And if and when it starts to go bad, everyone is going to do the same thing. Oh, my God, remember when we had Tom? And now we got to watch this kid back here? And it's like, I mean, it's just setting up to be a a really bad look for the team. And if they had put it on this Wednesday, tomorrow night, you know, and get it out of the way, they'd still bang the building out or come close to it, and they could wave the Brady wanker all over the place. Without you know, without pretty much stepping on the current team, and so I, I think it's setting up as a what could be a tough visual optical night for Mac Jones and the Patriots. Oh, without question. I mean, this is this is a tough way to do it. I mean, that's that's why you know I I'm a proponent of the Dan Marino night, and I was just looking it up. You know, so it was sometime. I think it was in in 2000 in late August or maybe early September, but. You know, like I said, they had Hootie and the Blowfish there. They had fireworks. Like all the all the quarterbacks from the class of '83 were there. Shula spoke. Clayton Duper. Like they made it this whole thing, and you know, a lot of money went to the Dan Marino Foundation and all that stuff. Like uh, that's really you just want it separate, like some it, other time. It sounds great. Can can we not do Hootie? Yeah, or no, like no some some sort of lame ass act. Like we don't you know, like we. What's wrong with Hootie? I mean, not but, today, but like, what was wrong with them back then? Because it's I'm about a Hootie fan. Yeah, but it's about Dan Marino or Tom Brady. It's not about Fallout Boy. Or well, how long are you going to do it for? Act you I mean, bring in there. Like we're not having a concert. We're going to retire the guy's number or something. It wasn't a full concert. They played those stupid tunes. Silly. It was fun. I was there, uh, so shit. Here's it. a long commercial. It's wait, we got twelve minutes left until the deadline, and is, is the roster settled yet, Greg? Not that I know of. They, Far from. Well, uh, they always wait until the last second, and then Bill doesn't announce it. He doesn't let the Patriots announce it until, like, 9 o'clock. So you're saying 4 o'clock's going to come and go, and we're not going to get much? Uh, that's normally how it works. Last year, uh, most of the news came out around 7 p.m. Yep. Oh, F you. Mm-hmm. It's going to come out now. If it doesn't come out, we're going to make it up. <laughs> we're just going to pretend like and it. report all sorts of roster moves, and whether they're right or wrong, we'll just have to find out. But the deadline's 4 o'clock. And we're going to have a deadline, whether you, whether they like it or not. Comes your way in 11 minutes. The very latest with the Patriots and your calls in our long commercial-free segment next. Now, now, now. Felger and Maz continues on the Sports Hub. Here's what I like about the Patriots. The offense is going to be better. We know that. We know that. 
The defense was a top 10 defense even with that offense last year. I think their defense has a chance to be really, really damn good. I do. I think they're a little better than people are giving them credit for. And I'm I'm going to take the over as well. Again, I don't know if that translates to playoffs, but yes, yeah, six and eleven, I don't see that. All right. I guess what I my long story short is like the floor to me is seven and ten. That's kind of how I look at it. Or the absolute worst floor is six and eleven, and I'm just betting that not not gonna happen. Okay, back where we started, your expectations for this team. It was Chris Sims playing some cuts from that. Again, he had a doozy about Bill Belichick's future that will reset for you coming up. But how do you feel about this team right about now, Greg, as we're five minutes away from the roster cut down, which I guess we won't find out about now that I, mean, I, I don't know whether we find out or not. How do you feel about your football team right about now? Uh, not great. I just don't think they're ready to go early on in the season. I think they're going to have to um, basically survive the first, at least the first four games, um, if not longer. They're going to have to piece it together. They're going to have to get, uh, you know, fortunate bounces, a lot of takeaways, things like that. I mean, you know, to think that the that the Patriots, yeah, they might be better on offense just with Billy O'Brien here and, and having a real plan. But, you know, you think – they're going to come out. They're going to outscore the Eagles, the Dolphins, the Jets, and the Cowboys in the first four weeks. I mean, you know, the defense better be locked down. Uh, but they are also going through some things. You know, what do they have at cornerback? Jonathan Jones hasn't been out there in a while. Who's playing where? How how are they going to play? Free safety. Who's going to be the deep safety? And they've had issues with that in joint practices and in some of the games as far as you know what they're doing, especially in the red zone with you know who's the safety over the top? Are they in the right place? So. Uh, you know, if if they had an easier open to the season and the schedule was easier in general, I would say, okay, I can see it. But man, you know, those first four games are just gangbusters. They have to they have to win at least one game in the first four, or else you know they could be done for. So to me, it's a mistake, and I think you hear this more with the Jets than anything, which is. Well, look at the Jets and we had no quarterback. Just add Aaron Rodgers and now it's like, okay, you just add that element and what are we going to be? Which is sort of, it's just assuming then that everything else that you did right is going to be right next year, which it it doesn't work that way. And I think, you know, Patriots fans are sort of making the same mistake with the Patriots. Well, look, we, we, we were uh, eight and nine. We were in the playoff hunt until the last week of the year with those two hammerheads coaching. Now we have a real offensive coordinator and a real offense, so... You know, what, what what can we expect if it was eight wins with those guys last year? What's it going to be this year with Bill O'Brien? Like just sort of assuming that everything that went right in the first place is going to go right in the second place. I just feel like that's a mistake because it never quite works out that way, Greg. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and you look at it, the only starting quarterback that they beat last year was Jared Goff. That was it. And that's when the Lions were awful in yeah. the middle of losing like five games in a row. And so, you know, it, that's a dangerous game that you play. But, you know, look, I think – I think if things, if everything goes their way, and basically that's the big thing with this team, is that they have no margin for error. Everything has to work. They can't suffer injuries, especially on offense. Uh, you know, all these guys need to pay off. They need to stay healthy. If that happens, then, yeah, they you know, they could surprise some people this year. But, I mean, I, I to me, I think it's a joke that the 
that their uh, over under season total has dropped to six and a half. I mean, that feels like free, that's ridiculous. It feels like free money to me. Like I don't yes. have big expectations for them, but I don't think they're going to be worse than six and a half. Man, that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. But I also do think they're probably not going to like settle themselves until the middle of October, starting with that Raiders game. This first month, I think, is going to be bad because I don't think they're prepared. The offensive line is really bad. And, you know, we had Cerrone in, in on the show yesterday, Mike. I hadn't even thought about this. He brought up the fact that they're facing these ridiculous pass rushers. We've been focusing on the quarterbacks they're going to, up against. You know, so the uh, Cowboys have a really good pass rush. The Jets, I mean, the strength of that team is the defense. Week one, you're facing the best pass rush in the league, and the Eagles, like, if their offensive line's in shambles, I mean... They might not win a game for the first month. What do you think, Greg? Yeah, I think that I think it's on the table. I think that you know. But here's the other thing: I think that it, if the Eagles were going to be on their schedule this year, they, it, there's no better time than the first game. Yeah. I mean, you've had all summer to get ready for this. You've had all summer to study their film. You know, this is what we're going to pick apart on them. Like, if if the defense is going to be really good or has a chance to be really good, they have to hold serve against the Eagles in the first game. They have to do their part. They have to hold them in the low 20s at least. I mean, but if they come out and the the Eagles offense blows doors on the Patriots defense, I mean, look out below. All right, Greg, thanks for coming in. As always, we appreciate it. We look forward to talking to you next Tuesday, leading in officially into week one of the NFL season. Thanks for coming by. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Okay, there's a big boy Tuesday. We're here at 4 o'clock now, so it's the roster deadline. I want to talk about that freaking train wreck last night at Fenway Park <laughs> and that thing with the Red Sox. But if we go to Red Sox at 4 o'clock, is there going to be all sorts of like breaking Patriots news at 4.02? Don't you love the sounder? I love the sounder. It's just going to stop the Red Sox thing in its tracks. So what do we do? I we think come we- back in the 4 o'clock hour and just sort of play with our Schmenzer and see if anything happens and then go to the Red Sox at 4.20. We go right now. I, I think we talk Sox now. Okay. That thing that happened last night at Fenway Park, that was a disgrace. That was a disgrace to sports. How's that? That was a disgrace to sports. <laughs> I'm not even joking about that. We'll get to that. Anything happens with the Patriots, you'll know it as soon as it happens, and we'll react to it in real time. No commercials here, just an update with Matt McCarthy, and we're right back.